back to this episode of the Med Student Over Easy podcast, a series within the EM Over Easy podcast. I am your EM Over Easy host, and we are going to kick back to the second part of the non-EM rotations and how to utilize them best. If you remember the, for the first part, it was Kevin Tomasic and Casey McGillicuddy walking us through all the rotations you'll do third and fourth year, and we left off at internal medicine, and we're going to kick it off starting with surgery. So take a listen to the episode. And don't forget to check back on other episodes of the Med Student Over Easy podcast at emovereasy.com. So what are your thoughts on what should we learn in surgery? So I had a combined anesthesiology and surgery rotation. And I loved my anesthesiology rotation. If I wasn't in this field, I would definitely be, I feel like, an anesthesiologist. I think they're, I don't know, they're like one of the coolest things in, in medicine other than us because they, they deal a lot with airway like we do. If a critical patient in this surgical OR ends up becoming unstable and the surgery to the point where the surgery needs to stop, they're the ones who actually take over and they are the ones running the code. Um, they they have the coolest drugs. They, they seem like the doctor's kind of doctor. So I loved my anesthesiology rotation. I learned so much about how to intubate, how to do RSI, how to kind of make this scene or at least control the scene in such a way that when you do intubate, everyone's on the same page. And they usually have like the coolest tricks. I, I learned a lot of like intubation tricks specifically from anesthesiologists. And I think they're such a cool specialty. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we can talk about anesthesia and then we'll do surgery next. So, you know, a different side of the drape, that's the other side of the drape is anesthesia. But I think anesthesia rotation, your goal is, you know, the intubations is, is kind of the, if you're going to get to intubate on your anesthesia rotation, it's just the setup and, and the process of intubating. They're very different airway procedures than what we will do in the emergency department, but learning, you know, the nomenclature of what we use, a Mac versus middle blade, et cetera, that's probably more important than necessarily getting to intubate because their intubations, like I said, are a little bit more clean. They're, 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 they're controlled. They're elective. They're typically, you know, the, the, the patient's got time to not eat, et cetera, all these other things. So I hope you get to intubate on those rotations, but really learning the nomenclature about what kind of blades we use, what size blades do we use? What are ET tubes? What do they look like? How do you put a stylet in? How do you put air in a tube, et cetera, is probably the most important part of it beyond intubating, obviously, is that that first step is learning the nomenclature of things you're going to use every day in the emergency department, every day for the rest of your career, kind of starts that. That's the most important part is the nomenclature to, to airways, right? And then other stuff, drugs and stuff, their drugs are different than ours. So some of it you'll, you'll learn about, and then you'll realize in emergency medicine, we don't actually use the same medications that they use to help, you know, intubate and sedate people. So that's probably less important, but really learning that, that the nomenclature and the skill of intubation is probably what you would spend time on with anesthesia. And then, like I said, mine happened to be combined, but the same anesthesiologist that I met during that time, you know, I would see again during my surgery and I required to be in the the OR a lot earlier than the residents or the attendings. And so I would talk to the anesthesiologist and the techs there. And I, I, I tried to volunteer for as many intubations as possible, even when I was just on the surgical side of it. And so like, I would do this thing where I'd be like, okay, so I would talk to the resident. It's okay to intubate. I'm going to intubate and then I'm going to run around the, the drape and I'm going to get sterile very quickly. And because they, they knew that that's what I was interested in. And so being very vocal and, and intentional with what you want to do, because like, they they know that not every medical student is going to grow up to be a surgeon. And so if you are showing an interest in a specific thing, they want to help you. The doctors who sign up to be these preceptors in these areas, they 
more or less want to be a teacher. And so if you're excited about something and it might just have to be intubation, then they want to be helpful in most cases, honestly. Obviously not true in every single case, but you know, hopefully the third year you get very good at knowing where to stand in a room. You get really good at understanding, you know, the the unspoken things and, and you get better at just, I, I, I thought I got really good at trying to read the room and trying to figure out where I was best and where I was least intrusive. That was a lot, most of my third year was figuring out how to be as helpful as possible um, without disrupting too many things. Yeah, no, exa- exactly. I think it's, it's, you know, showing an interest in each rotation. I mean, this is kind of a generalized thing, show, which we'll talk about at the end, but showing an interest in each service that you're on, yet learning the key components that are going to really help you and benefit you. Because, you know, if you're not going to do pediatrics the rest of your life, you know, spending time in there and learning their side of things, but also learning your take-home points for each rotation. But yeah, so surgery, I would say I did a surgery rotation that was just surgery, but I still tried to intubate those patients. And and honestly, our surgeons thought it was okay. Some of them were like, oh yeah, it's your, it's your patient. Sure, if anesthesia lets you go ahead. And that really depends on where you are in terms of what med school you're at, because that may not happen if there's a med student on the anesthesia rotation, they may get it. But if nobody's there to intubate them. If you're planning on doing emergency medicine, try and be part of that process of, hey, I'll intubate them, I'll, I'll sterile up, and then I'll come back and help with, with, with you know, the, the kind of surgical side of things. That being said, the best thing you can learn from surgery is surgery, is learning the skill of of suturing, of cutting. We don't really cauterize a lot, but they, they, they you know, surgeons cauterize a lot. We don't, we don't learn that, but that's the skill you're going to learn is, is how to suture, how to manage sutures after they're discharged, or you know, after the surgery is over, what does an infected suture look like or a stitch look like, et cetera? And then learning kind of the technique to stitch and what kind of stitches are there. Kind of that nomenclature, same idea with intubations, but the nomenclature of different sutures, you know, absorbable versus non-absorbable. When do we use them? What? Do we, how do we use them? The sizes, et cetera. That's kind of your your skill and I would say nomenclature you should take home. But most importantly, is just sur- surgical abdomens. When 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 do I need to call a surgeon? When does a surgeon want to be called acutely? for a patient's examination and, and taking that in. And that these are best done when you're on surgery, when the ER calls for an admission, you know, getting to go to the ER to see this patient who's been there for just a few hours. Like what does the ER doctor thinks going on? What does labs and imaging represent? And what's their, what's their abdominal exam look like? And getting comfortable with what a surgeon does. Watching a surgeon examine an abdomen and how they palpate and do things is really important because you should carry that exam with you and take that with you. Because that's what that's what surgeons do, right? Surgeons, that's what we, we want to practice an an examination on an abdomen like a surgeon does. That's how we want to that's how we want to perform a, an abdominal exam is the same as how a surgeon would. So that's kind of the knowledge you want to take with you when you leave that rotation. Yeah, I think all of us. Well, at least for me, my first like real set of sutures was on a patient who was intubated during surgery, and it's it's such a good experience because it's it's a little bit less stressful. You're not so worried about causing, you know, unnecessary pain to a patient since they're asleep. You get like really good hands-on guidance. So when you were talking about sutures, I just I just had this memory of all of all of the sutures I did in a surgical suite and how like useful it was in understanding, you know, the the actual ties and the knots and things that you know, now you're expected to do from like day one, walking into emergency medicine because you did it, because you had a surgical rotation. But yeah, I, I, I also agree with knowing when to call a surgeon. I, I remember, you know, I would always ask like, I'm going to emergency medicine. 
what do you want me to know when I wake you up at 3am? My biggest thing that I always wanted to figure out. And uh, I remember one of the the breast surgeons I worked with, and she was she was absolutely fabulous. She walked into the hospital in like six inch stiletto heels every day and then changed into like actual, I don't know, like working shoes for her surgeries. But she had like, she wanted to make sure that I called her specifically for her patients that she did surgery on in like, there was like a 72 hour time period. She was like, I need to be aware of these patients. If they're bouncing back to a hospital, there is a reason. And I don't care what time of day it is. I just open them up. And there might be a complication and there might be an infection and there might be this and that. And that's important for me as their surgeon because she's my patient. And I thought that was pretty impactful that, you know, surgeons want to be called for their surgical complications because it's important to them. And that's like their, I don't know, that's the thing that they work for is to decrease their, you know, their bounce back rates. And so they need to be aware of these patients when they walk through the door. Yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Okay. So I think we kind of hit up all the big rotations. I don't think we missed any for third year. And then it's kind of moving on to, to fourth year. We'll kind of briefly do these, you know, kind of what electives are, are helpful and not. Obviously, I would carry the same kind of take home points when you rotate through fourth year, because that now you've probably starting to, you've probably done EM. And now after you've done an EM rotation, what rotation should you do? But the same idea applies, right? Like, again, what do I, what do I need to learn from this? That's going to help me as an ER doctor. And then when do I need to call XYZ specialist? Those are all the same Tanko points. But, you know, what are some of the high yield electives slash EM based things we can do? So my fourth year, I felt like I spent half of my fourth year on like away electives and the other half of the fourth year back in like my home institution right before COVID hit because I was when I was a fourth year. So my EM electives that I did, I did like a two week pediatric ER rotation that I really liked. I did toxicology um, at an institution that I was trying to get a proper EM rotation at and I couldn't get it, but they had an elective. So I was able to do this like toxicology elective, show up, show face, do a couple of like EM shifts, even though I was there for toxicology. So I could like meet the residents and all of that. And I had like a really good experience there. I did a ultrasound elective, which I highly recommend getting as comfortable as possible with ultrasound your fourth year. So that when you walk in entering year, you're able to actually use the ultrasound. Cause I think we use it almost, you know, every day, if you're very comfortable with it, you can use your ultrasound. Um, And so those were so useful just in terms of like an EM specific knowledge base that I was trying to build my fourth year. So I could, you know, walk into intern year feeling a little bit more comfortable and feeling a little bit like I knew somewhat what was going on. But the other rotations fourth year that I thought were either I had done or I had heard were like really good ICU. Seeing an ICU in fourth year was great because I felt like I understood a little bit more about like their priorities, their flow, their admission criteria, what the ICU cared about, and even even something as basic as how to write an ICU note, because I did ICU rotations in my intern year residency. And I felt like I would have walked in and had a lot more confusion about the whole process had I not even seen like an ICU note prior to a residency. And so I thought ICU is super important. Peds anesthesiology, that was something I, I signed up for my fourth year because it was it was two weeks. It was, it was supposed to be like really fun. I Like I said, I liked the anesthesiologist I had worked with. And it was cool to get to intubate like really small kids. I think the youngest I was allowed to intubate when I was on was I think like a, a two-year-old. So that was that was very interesting for me. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, highlighting 
you know, when you do EM, it doesn't always have to be an EM rotation. You can do ultrasound, you can do PZD, you can do toxicology rotations. They're all really helpful. They're, they're a foot in the door for those, for those programs if you're interested. But all those things you'll carry with you. I mean, that's like, you know, there's no take-home points for that. It's learn as much as you can on those rotations because that, that's going to be your life, right? And then obviously ICU, it's, you know, kind of the management, the stabilization. After we stabilize these people, what does the ICU do? You know, they really try and, and, and I, I say they try and find source control, right? Whatever it might be, they're really the ones getting down to the, the gritty of f- figuring out what's happening and, and fixing that problem. They're the mechanics that are really getting down to it. So it's definitely, I would highly recommend a fourth year elective in intensive care somewhere that can be in the SICU or the MICU or the PICU or whatever it might be, but some form of higher level care, intensive care. And then and when you break down the, then your next step is kind of breaking down the IM subspecialties. We're not going to go through them all, but I think cardiology is probably the highest yield one you can do, you know, outside of, you know, GI or, or nephrology or your, you know, those, those fields. Cardiology, you know, you'll, you'll practice every single day. You will sign multiple EKGs every day. You will see multiple chest pain patients a day. So if you're going to do an IM elective or subspecialty or et cetera, it, it, I highly focus on cardiology and it's EKG interpretation, right? Like that's, that's where you can spend that month kind of practicing your, your chest pain admissions, your chest pain workups, and then EKG kind of diagnosis and terminology, et cetera, kind of owning on that. Surgical subspecialties, I wouldn't spend a lot of time on. If you can do a sick rotation, that's probably helpful. Things that are low yield are like urology and neurosurgery. Things that are more high yield in terms of surgery is going to probably be like ENT and then, and then maybe colorectal because we see a lot of those kind of patients in the ER. And then I would say low yield rotations that I would I, I, I rotated and did thinking they were high yield, but I probably spent time on them and I shouldn't. It was like things like dermatology and, and ophthalmology. I think those are much lower yield. We, you know, we see derm patients and we see opto patients, but not very often. And at least in my two-week rotations as a fourth year doing them, I saw zero emergency dermatology patients and zero emergency ophthalmology patients in the office. So I think that you know you'll probably get better exposure and experience on a, an ultrasound shift or a PZD shift, seeing those real cases than you will in an outpatient dermatology or ophthalmology setting. So those are, I think, kind of more low yield that I would probably avoid if you could and, and try and fill those with like things like toxicology or ultrasound or PZD. <laughs> All right. So I would say our three, my, my three take-home points for each rotation as a third year or a fourth year, Dr. McGillicuddy kind of brought it up, but that's really making an outline for each rotation, you don't got to write it down, but you, in your head, you know, what am I going to learn from this to better me as an ER physician and resident on each rotation, whether it's pediatrics, internal medicine, whatever, what am I going to carry with me? What do I need to learn and focus on, on each specific rotation? That's kind of take home one. And then take home two, really learn what, what does this specialist do for me when I need them? And when am I going to call them? What, what, what can I call them with? How can I present this patient to them? What are they going to do for the patient? And when is the best time to call them? That's kind of take home two. And then I would say take home three is really each rotation, just showing an interest in that rotation. You can tell them you're EM bound if you're EM bound, but, but really try and own yourself as a medical student and really enjoy your rotation and, and learn. It's your last time being a student. You know, it's your last experience of being that just, you know, your, your whole job is there to learn. It's how you're there to help patients, but Really, it's there to learn and be educated and enjoy that moment because, you know, residency, you're, you're still there to learn and be educated, but you're also a physician and, and you're there to work. So I think it's that one last time you get to experience it. We've, we've, been, we've been students for a long time, and this is kind of the end of that process. So really kind of enjoy it. 
This is my plug for one of the most useful books I've ever bought. I actually bought in my third year, and it was a paperback to Natalie's Just the Facts. And I bought this in my third year because, you know, the, we can say, oh, you know, make an outline of what you want to learn in your family medicine rotation. Like, it's so easy. It's hard to know what you even are wanting to make an outline of. And so I use Tenali's, and it's a very condensed version, um, as a way to understand what would be theoretically expected. When I walked into my OBGYN rotation, I had a chapter on OBGYN emergencies. And so I thought that was how like the mechanics of how you can kind of go about doing your third year very intentionally is getting like an EM resource alongside studying for, you know, your various shelves and your, 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 your step twos and your complex twos and all that. Well, thanks to Kevin and Casey for hopping on and working us through this second part of the non-EM rotations. If you want to learn more about the Med Student Over Easy podcast and our parent show, EM Over Easy, head on over to emovereasy.com today. Also, don't forget to follow us on our social media pages, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And don't forget, we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. To learn more about this great organization, head on over to acoap.org today. Until next time, thanks so much, everyone.